Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. And I believe today is going to encourage you. It's going to be awesome. Anybody grateful to be in the house of the Lord today? I have a message that's going to encourage you, and if it doesn't, it definitely encouraged me. So somebody's getting encouraged today. I, I really believe God's doing something special in our church. If you're new here to Oasis, we really believe that God has released favor on, on his people, seven years of favor specifically. It's been confirmed through prophetic words and different things in my life, but, but I realize now I have the uh, unbelievable challenge of preparing people for that favor, because oftentimes when we get a word, we, we just hold on to the word, but we don't understand what it's going to take to fulfill that word. We don't understand the obedience. It actually can be really encouraging that we would uh, hear a word that God's going to do this, God is going to do that, and then we get another word about our personal obedience, about diving in the scriptures, and we reject that word that we don't want to do while receiving the word that we do want to do, not realizing both those words are tied together, and then 10 years from now on the word that we got that we received doesn't come to pass. We don't remember the one that we rejected, and then it's like, God, where are you? Bible says prophecy is given in part. So when someone tells you God is going to bless you and give you favor and exalt you and promote you, you cannot just go back and not actually seek God for what else he might be saying to you. This is profoundly important. So today, we're going to unpack really a story in the Bible about how someone had God's favor and then lost God's favor through disobedience. When I say lost God's favor, God is always giving us favor. I'm talking about he always wants to bless us. Sometimes his favor is his presence. But there are certain blessings that take higher levels of obedience than other blessings. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to be, you need to obey more when you have a wife than a girlfriend. You need to obey more when you have a, a, a husband than a boy. There's certain levels. You know, you, you work for someone, you can be late. But if you own the business and you're late, that costs you money. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That there's certain levels to certain things in life. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's levels to this. So when God gives you a blessing that's on this level, he often wants to then now shape your character, your heart, and your obedience so that your character matches the level of what he has called you to do. This is profoundly important. Otherwise, when I tell you God's going to do this, God's going to do that, God's going to do this, I'm telling you half the truth. God is going to do those things but he's going to do some other things alongside of that. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, talks about one of the things that God does that is not my favorite. Are you ready to hear it? It says in verse 1, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land. Well, let's pause there for a second. What was the land? The promised land. The promised land. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. So God had told Israel that he had called them to unbelievable promises. Anybody believing for unbelievable promises in this next season of your life? And if you're believing and you're not believing for the one person who's believing, I'm talking to you right here. Are you believing for wonderful promises in your life? I went, The 9.30 service was believing. The 11.30 service says, I'm tired. It's been a tough season. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. 
And here's why we can get confused. And here's why we can get discouraged. Because it said that God left some enemies in the promised land to test them and to teach them how to fight. Now, when they were in Egypt, I feel like preaching already. I'm just going to pretend I'm preaching to the 930. Because when they were in Egypt in bondage, God raised up an anointed leader to get them out of bondage. So sometimes God can raise me up to get you out of bondage. But they did not have to battle when they were in bondage. They just had to follow the anointing of the leader God had called to get them out of the bondage. But the moment they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, all of a sudden there was a fight. I want to encourage someone today who's in a fight because the devil wants you to think you're fighting for your promise. You're fighting in your promise. The only reason there's a fight is because you already showed up to the promises of God on your life. And the devil wants you to think because there's a fight, you're fighting for something. No, 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 no. You're not fighting for something. You're fighting in something. There was not one single battle until they crossed over. Somebody say, I just crossed over because I'm getting resistance. I'm getting feedback. I'm getting pushback. The devil's all around. People are trying to stop me. The resistance is a sign that you're in it. Freedom is a sign that God has called you to it. But when you are in a fight, that means you're in your promised land. And I want to preach a message today called faith for the fight. God wants to give somebody faith for the fight today. You got faith for the outcome. You got faith for what God wants you to do. But do you have faith for the process? The process is a fight. Anybody in a fight right now? A fight for all that God has called them to do. You got to have faith for the fight. And so we're going to be reading from Judges, which is a passage of scripture that we don't really preach on a lot because the Old Testament has some pretty easy verses to understand. The Old Testament has, excuse me, New Testament has verses like Ephesians 3.20 that says God is able to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think according to the power that is at work in us now glory be to Christ in the church we read verses like that and 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 it feels good and we start to believe that God is awesome but then you're going through Leviticus and it says something about you can't eat shrimp and you're on your way to Nobu and you're like I don't what's the what's the revelation in not being able to eat shrimp come on man like you they couldn't eat catfish in the Bible the devil is a lie have y'all had some catfish Recently, the devil is a lie. By the way, I'll show you the scripture where Jesus says that it's in your heart was def what, what defiles you. You better eat that catfish and that surf and turf from uh, Black Angus. Come on, Black Angus. Remember when Black Angus, like somebody graduated from college? They just keep upping the level of the things that we need to do to be successful. But no, it's, it's, you, you can get revelation from the Old Testament. And so we're going to read a passage of scripture that would be tough. The book of Judges sits right after the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is the, the, the journey of a leader named Joshua who God used to get people to where God had called them to be. When uh, Christine and I started pastoring Oasis, we got a prophecy from um, Bishop Kenneth Omer, legendary bishop in the city of 
of LA and I've, I've watched it multiple times and he turned to Philip in the middle of our transition service and he pointed to Philip and he said, Moses uh, uh, saw places he would not go and Joshua went places he could not see. So he's like, the, the, the first leader saw this thing, but he didn't realize that the thing, all those things were going to happen to the next leader he passed to. He's given a prophecy, and then he spoke to me, and I didn't realize what he was saying, but the, first, the second leader would have a hard time seeing what was going to happen, but he was going to get there. And I just thought that was so profound, and I started studying the book of Joshua, and Joshua was anointed to get people all that God had for them. But they had to obey God in order to hold on to something. Anybody know you can fall in love to get married, but you got to be faithful to stay married? Come on, somebody. You can't be like cheating on, cheating on them three, four times, talking about, but the word of the Lord was we supposed to be married. No, no, you can't do that. I'm freeing somebody right now. Somebody's going to break up today over what I just said, and I'm releasing you from that trifling, no good, unfaithful. Because you're holding on to a word, but the obedience helps you keep that person in your life. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching already. So the book of Judges is about this. It's about Israel got blessed and went left. I could have called it the sermon instead of fighting for the faith. I said I should have called it how to be blessed and not go left. Because God gave them what they were praying for, and then they stopped obeying God. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Judges that after Joshua, a whole generation was raised up that didn't know the Lord. And they lost what the Lord had blessed them with. And so if you look at some leadership in the Old Testament, there's like really just a handful of core leadership titles in the Old Testament. The first one is a king. That, that's a godly leader. That, that's job was to, to make sure that God's people were living in peace and prosperity. And there's a lot of wayward kings in the Bible. Um, and most of them were wayward when they didn't listen to the prophet. But the king's responsibility was to usher in. So if you feel called to business, then most likely your business will not be blessed until it becomes big enough to usher other people into peace and prosperity. Some of us are on the in-between from um, we used to be successful in, in the world's eyes. For some of you, you don't feel successful now and you're, you're achieving something and you're not where you want to be. Shout out to everybody who's not where they want to be. Make some noise real quick. And you're feeling discouraged because you're not where you want to be. It's so hard for me to pastor young people sometimes because I'm pastoring them and they're not where they want to be. And sometimes they're in a better situation than I was when I was their age. And sometimes... They're, they're, but they're eating avocado toast and drinking seven lattes and hopping in the Tesla. Like, I just don't know where God is in my life. And, and I'm like, confused. Like, you seem to be doing pretty good to me. Like, you live in a place where you can charge a Tesla. Like, now, if you got a Tesla and you got to charge it at the mall and you don't live in a place where you can charge, I'm going to need you to trade that in and get a get. That's just free wisdom. But if you got to go charge it at the mall and then got to, I'm going to need you to trade that in. But, but what I'm saying is, is, is this one thing to not be where you want to be. But it's another thing, there's another level of discouragement to not be where you used to be. Woo! 
I used to have a lot more money than this. I used to have a lot more relationships with this. And sometimes God is raising you up to be like a godly king where it's no longer about what you have, it's what you lead others to have, and he's going to bless you just last. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1 that God showed the leaders their portion of the promised land and showed it to them and said, but you can't live there until you help everyone else get and then when you help everyone get what I have for them, then go live in what I have for you. You are I'm showing it to you, but you can't go there until you help somebody else. And so that was a king's job. Now, here's what's cool. Christ is not just our savior, but he's our king. So if you only leverage Christ's grace to forgive you of your sin, but you don't leverage his anointing to be your king and you don't follow him. So he saved you, but you lead yourself then you cannot take hold of all the peace and prosperity and favor that God has for you. So one role was a king. Another role was a prophet. These were the mouthpieces of God. Now, in the New Testament, for everybody in this church who says you're a prophet, and the New Testament prophet is different. They're not the mouthpieces of God. They have prophetic utterances, which means the Holy Spirit within them tells them to say something, and they say it. The Old Testament, nobody heard from God if a prophet didn't say anything. Because the Lord only spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks through the Son and the Spirit to all believers. So we don't need a prophet to hear from God. We need a prophet to, to, to get a, a momentary word from God. But we've got to make sure that we don't start going to the prophet and not to Christ. That's one of the roles in the Old Testament. Another role in the Old Testament was a priest. These are the people who made sacrifices for, uh, in God's presence transferring your sin to the sacrifice and the perfection of the sacrifice to you. Jesus is our high priest. Now, Jesus speaks to you. So Jesus is fulfilling both prophet, priest, and king. All of that are found in Jesus. And the only reason prophecy exists, it says in the book of Revelation, is to bear witness to Jesus who gave the prophecy. We don't honor the prophet. We honor the person that the prophet got the word from, Jesus. You follow me? So then another leadership in the Old Testament, which is where we read our scripture from, is a judge. And a judge was raised up when Israel was tripping. Israel was tripping out here wilding out. And God raised up judges because God wanted to restore their sin, restore them from their sin before he restored their situation. And the judge's job was to let Israel know where they were sinning. Now, I know you said recently only God can judge you, and that's not true. The Bible actually says that the church should judge each other. We don't judge the world. Paul said what what difference does it make what the world is doing? He literally said, the world is not my business. I don't judge what the world. So whenever you see someone always talking about what Instagram, what culture's doing and what the world is doing in the world, Paul, who's probably better than that spiritual leader, said, that's none of my business. My business is in the church. So yes, you need prophecy in the church, primarily Christ, but God will give someone a prophetic word. Yes, you need priesthood in the church, primarily Christ. Yes, you need kingdom leadership in the church, Primarily Christ who leads you through his word. But you need judgment day belongs to God. But the daily judgment of right and wrong belongs to other believers. So when you don't, when God's doing something and he's going to bless you and give you favor, he'll often bring people in your life wisdom 
to help you get there. Anybody believing for the greatest financial favor you've ever? Is anybody believing for that? Okay. How many people signed up for Financial Peace University? Not, not as many people who clap. You know why? Because we think that God's going to give us the favor without the prep. So you need someone, an unhealthy church is someone who prophesies over your finances, but won't call you out on your overspending. You need judge and prophet. So what happens is, is we don't go and I've, 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 uh, I think that's going to be our new advertisement for financial peace. I'm just going to post like financial wisdom. And if you believe it, <laughs> then you need to go to financial peace. I posted the other day, never put anything on a credit card unless it's going to make you a better golfer. And in the next season, I'm going to put, and if you believe that, go to Financial Peace University. If you go to Target for deodorant and grab a shopping cart, you're shopping prophetically. The Lord will provide. And if you believe this, go to Financial Peace University. You know why we don't go to that, but we'll receive the prophecy? We don't want to open up our budget in front of people and be embarrassed. We don't want people to know we bought a Gucci bag and we're three months behind on our... We don't want people to know that. We don't want judgment. And judgment is a state of someone. We want judging. We don't want judgmental people. Judgmental are people who are always looking for something to judge. Judgment is when in, in healthy community we say, hey, have you seen anything in my life that would prevent me from... We all got that one thing that we have that we really would bless our friend, but we don't tell them because we don't think they'll receive it. Am I lying? So when God is getting ready to do something in the church, he raises up prophetic judges in those areas. God is doing something in discipleship, and he's raising up prophetic judges in our church. Not the title of a judge, but the gift where we're going to be able, they're going to be able to tell us that certain areas of our lives don't align with the word. He's getting ready. There's going to be a health movement prophetic fitness judges that are going to get people's bodies ready for all the work that the Lord is going to allow them to do. There's going to be financial prophets raised up in our church, people with profound wisdom that if you just listen to their wisdom, it's going to be judged. We're going to be on the in-between of Joshua in the next book. And I, and I, and I wanted to, 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 to do this sermon because I believe that God is getting ready to raise up people to speak in your life and you're going to receive the word and reject the wisdom and it's not going to come to pass. And so I'm seeing, saying this message because we're, we're going to need to address some things in our life that God addressed in the book of Judges that's going to move us forward. And I don't know why God does this. I wish he would just give it to us. But it says in Zechariah verse 13 through 9 that I will bring that group. Who's he talking about? God's people through the fire and I will make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. If you are a prophet with wisdom in one of the areas I spoke to, you got to make sure that you see the gold in people and that's why you're saying what you're saying. If you see the what's wrong with people, I'm not talking to you. If you just said, yeah, ain't nobody listening to me, but maybe someone's not listening to you because you actually have a critical spirit. You're not saying what you're saying because you see gold. You're saying what you're saying because you see problems. And, and God's raising you up to see gold in people. And God is doing this because he's purifying the gold, not fixing a problem. You are not a problem in the presence of God. Can I just say that you're not too much? You're not a problem. God doesn't look at you like your problem. He looks at you like your gold that's purified. 
Anybody been given a gold ring? If you found that ring after someone just mined it, you would think it was worthless. It looks like a rock. It only looks like gold because it's been refined. And God is saying, I don't, there's nothing wrong with you. You're gold. I'm refining you. And other people have made you feel like you're less than, and that is not the refinement of God. God does this. He tests your faith. He tests you with things because he thinks you're valuable, and he wants to refine you. And the refinement of the gold is what makes the gold even more valuable than when someone found it. So God's not going to find you and not refine you. And so there's in this season, I feel like we're in this book of Judges season where we're going to need crazy wisdom. I'm, I'm believing for the prophetic. I'm believing for kingdom leadership. But I believe that God is, 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 is judging our actions from a place of refining us like gold. And one of the judges God raised up in, in, in Judges chapter 3 was a man by the name of Ehud. E-H-U-D. I'm going to call him Ehud because that's the way I like to say it. Ehud. Anybody heard of Ehud? You ain't heard of Ehud in the Bible. We heard of Abraham. We heard of Moses. We heard of, and sometimes we make celebrities out of people in the Bible. There are people in the Bible who no one's heard of that God used mightily. And one of these guys was uh, Ehud and Israel was in a bad spot because God had led them to the promised land. And now they weren't in the promised land anymore because of their, their, their actions. In Judges 3 verse 13, it says Eglon. This was the evil king that Israel was under. And he had an evil name too, Eglon just struggling, enlisted the Ammonites, the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. Isn't that sad? Remember the book of Joshua? The first battle that they overcame was Jericho, and that was the city with all the money. And the Bible says that they left Jericho, the walls were brought down, and Israel left with all the money and all the resources at Jericho. And now because they were disobedient, they had lost something God had given them. And now they're watching what used to belong to them belong to their enemies over disobedience. I want to ask somebody today, if you feel like someone has something that belongs to you, maybe don't spend as much time praying about your situation and ask God to reveal potentially the sin why God is delaying your situation. Because sometimes it's not access denied, it's access delayed because God wants to deal with something in your life because he wants you to be a light, a light to the world. And so it says that they had possession of Jericho and first, verse 14 says, and the Israelites served Eglon and that word served means slavery. So they were slaves to Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, Verse 12 said, once again, Israel did evil in the Lord's sight. And this verse says, and God again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud. Say Ehud. Son of Gera, a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. A left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Interestingly enough, the name Benjamin means son of the right hand. So a left-handed man whose family was named after right-handed people. Why is this significant? Because so many scriptures talk about the right hand of God. The right hand in the Bible meant honor. It meant prestige. It meant favor. There was a mother who asked 
two of Jesus' disciples. She told Jesus, when, when they, you enter into your kingdom, can my kids sit at your right hand, one to the right and one to the left? And culturally, the sons would have been thinking, which one has to be on the left? Because the one on the right symbolizes favor. They would have argued over the right hand. The Bible says that the Lord has things of justice in his right hand. And the right hand was a symbol of honor. And every warrior was right-handed. So now God is picking Ehud, a left-handed man who's the son of a right-handed family, which means even his family wouldn't have believed that God was getting ready to do something with him. Sometimes if you want to fight for your faith, you have to understand that you're going to have to do something different than your family origin has ever done. Maybe your family has never prayed. Maybe your family's been broke. Maybe your family's never graduated from, but this person God used, and I believe the Bible's trying to tell you and I that he used something about Ehud that someone else would have rejected him about, and he would have had to believe that God could use him as a left-handed man when his whole tribe was called son of the right hand. So there was no way that anyone would have chosen him for battle. Somebody might not choose you for what God has called you to, but he was chosen by God. And I want us to understand we're always looking for our strengths to give to God, but we're never willing to give him our weaknesses. We're never willing to give him the things that people reject. We're looking for things that people want and say, God, will you use my, my gift? But Ehud was left-handed. Now I know you don't relate to that because maybe like now left-handed is cool. I don't know. But back then, left-handed, a matter of fact, the word left-handed, that's the only English word they could find for it, for the Hebrew word doesn't say left-handed. The Hebrew word means restricted in his right hand. So, so many scholars believe that his right hand could have actually been not usable or not workable, but the English word for it, they just use left-handed, but the actual Hebrew word means he was restricted in his right hand, that there was something wrong with it. That was the Hebrew view of the word. There was something wrong with his, life, his right hand. So I don't want you to view it like, oh, what's the big deal? He was left-handed. No, because that's what we translated to English. The original translation was there was something wrong with his right hand. Everyone was telling him there was something wrong with him, and God was going to use what was wrong with him for God's glory. So what's wrong with you? What's the thing about you that you think God can't use? And even worse, what's wrong about somebody else that frustrates you when God uses them? He was left-handed from a son of the right hand. And it says the Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. Tribute money is another Hebrew word that we think might just be a gift, but it was basically an act of worship. It was such an... Uh, uh, um, an elaborate gift that, that Ehud would have had to have people help him carry it. It was an elaborate gift to honor and worship this king. It was not, the king didn't need it. It was you proclaiming your allegiance and your honor and worship. It was literally like giving an offering to God. And so it says that he made on the way a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. You were not allowed to have weapons in the king's presence. The term cupbearer, these types of kings were always had the threat of assassination. So when you see a cupbearer in the Bible, that guy's job was to drink 
from any cup that the king drank from first because if it was poisoned, the cupbearer would die and not the king. That was somebody's job. So the threat of assassination was always so prevalent that they would have cupbearers tasting. They would have food tasters taste the food and, and, and they would have guards and everybody would check for weapons. But, but Ehud put a double-edged sword in his right side. I looked up double-edged sword and almost nowhere in the Bible is this word not synonymous with the word of God. Now, I'm not saying this word here means the word of God, but in other places in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is powerful, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Almost every verse that I found about a double-edged sword had to do with the word. So when you get ready to go into the thing that God has called for you and you need to fight for your faith, your double-edged sword is not a weapon. It's not your gift. It's the word of the Lord. You got to be ready and prepared and armed with the word of God. So the Bible says that this man, and it's so important that you have context because here's a couple of things that Ehud would have known that you and I would need to learn about. He would have known that that king would have had a cupbearer. He would have known that that king would have had a food taster. And he would have known that that king had guards who would have checked for a weapon. But every single warrior was a right-handed warrior. And so they always drew their weapon from their left side. So the security of the king was every time they found a weapon, it would have been on the left side. So many Bible scholars believe that the security would never check on the right hand side because no self-respecting warrior would load a sword on their right side. So they didn't even check Ehud's right side because they wouldn't have respected him enough because remember, he wasn't just left-handed. He was restricted in his right hand. Some scholars believe he was literally handicapped. So now here is this person who's everybody looking down upon. There's no way they're a warrior. There's no way they're a businessman. There's no way they can close their deal. There's no way they can do that. And God wants to use them to show how great he is. And so this left-handed man with a sword on his right thigh brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. This passage of scripture is kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. It gets worse. So I want you to catch this. He got a sword for a reason. He wanted to kill the king. He wanted to probably kill the king because he was mad about the tribute money he was giving to the king. But let's keep reading for a second. It says after delivering the payment in verse 18, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. Like, didn't it, isn't that weird? He made a double-edged sword. Seems like he had a plan to kill the king, but after he gave the king the tribute, tribute money, we don't know why, but it seems that he backed out of what his plan was. But verse 19 says this, but when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back and he came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. Other translations say, I have a word from the Lord. What I love about Ehud is he backed out when he was going to kill the king over his personal trauma, over his personal uh, 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 money restrictions. But the Bible says when he saw the idols that the king set up, I got to turn around. Woo! How many of us would be willing to turn around over the worship over the Lord? We'll turn around when it affects us. We'll turn around when it affects our bank account. But when it affects God being worshiped, that's what made him turn around. He said, I can handle being enslaved, this man that he doesn't deserve. What I cannot handle are the idols he set up to be worshiped. I got to turn around and go honor God. 
What would make you turn around? What would make me turn around? The things that are happening to you or God not being worshipped? I love his heart because I think, to be honest, I, if I don't feel like worship doesn't mean a lot to me in certain seasons of my life. I'm too busy chasing what God has for me, and I'm not worshiping God. But he turned around when the idols were being worshipped, and he told the king, I got a word for you. It says, so the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, not like this one. It's pretty hot in here. And Ehud said, I have a message from God from you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. And, and, and here's a memory verse for this week that I want us to memorize. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. I just want that in your spirit this week. That's the memory verse for this week for Oasis Church. Send it to someone and encourage them. I want to see this on Instagram. So the dagger went so deep just by itself. Judges 3.22. I want to see it on all your Instagram. The dagger went so deep. I want to encourage somebody today. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger and the king's bowels empty. As in the Bible. I don't know why this writer feels like we need those details. But like, it's in there, so I'm reading it. It's the word of the Lord. Then Ehud closed the lock and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using latrine in the room, so they waited. And when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols again on his way to Sarah. And when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills and said, follow me, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. And so they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across the Moab. The, the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. This means so much to me about God's grace and goodness because the first time they crossed the Jordan, remember the Jordan, crossing the Jordan is how they got to the promised land. Y'all remember that? They had to cross the Jordan River in Joshua chapter three. But the Bible says that when they crossed it the first time, the, the river was at flood stages. They crossed it the first time and the river was at flood stages. This time it was shallow. It's almost as if God is saying, like, I know you've been through it. I'm not going to make it flood this time. The bottom's just up to their ankles. But also the first time when the river was at flood stages, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the glory of the Lord, the fullness of God's presence. If you're going to fight for your faith, you cannot be carrying a dream more than God's glory. Because without God's glory, you're not going to be able to cross over when the waters get flooded. But here, when they had been stripped of God's presence, God made sure the water was easy to cross. But when you are getting ready to cross into what God has for you, God's not going to make the waters easy. He's not going to make them shallow. Sometimes it's going to be flooding. And without the glory of the Lord, the presence of God on your life, you're going to drown. 
And so this story from the book of Judges, fighting with faith, has three simple principles that I felt God really convicted me about. And number one is that I cannot be more concerned about my situation than my sin. I need to be seeking God, not from a place of condemnation, but I need to be seeking God to align myself according to his word. Why? Because God is getting ready to exalt you to a dark place, and the assignment is not to use your gift, but to be a light. And the Bible says how you get the light. It's not how the world says it. We're light bearers. We just like, oh, we're just being a light, 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 light. It's not Spider-Man. In John chapter 1, it says Jesus was the word. Doesn't even say he was love. He is love, but he's the word. And the word became flesh. The word brought life. The life brought light. And then darkness could not comprehend it, which means darkness had to bow. So are you... You're called to go in spaces, and for the next level of success for you, darkness has to bow. Give way to the light that is in you. And the light is not your personality. The light is not your charisma. The light is not your gift. The light is the life that you are living that's been transformed by the word. And that life sheds light, and darkness has got to yield to it. And so that's how. And so I'm not saying be concerned with your sin so that you can beat yourself up because God, Lane said earlier, that, that God makes us righteous by grace. You're not dealing with it that, for that reason. You're basically allowing the word of God to increase the light in your life. So when God wants to do something in a dark place, you can go, I'm ready. My life has been transformed by the word. And can I tell you, the more success there is, the darker it is. You, want, you think your life is dark and you ain't made it yet? Talk to some people who made it. It's dark. It's no joke. And so we need to repent so that we can get access to this light. And some people are more praying about their situation and their personal sin. And the second thing I observed from this passage of Scripture is that we need to worry about the Word of God and worship. God will protect me. God will exalt me when it's time. God will get me to the promised land. But, but when Eglon turned around, he didn't turn around because it was not fair. And I just want to encourage somebody. For the, the writer's strike is happening right now because people, the enemies, are trying to hold on to some things that God has for you. And God is getting ready to do something if you feel called to that space. But this is the calm before the storm so some of God's artists and creatives can get a little bit more light because it was about to get a little bit more dark. And you, if you got blessed with that thing, it would have ruined you. So this is the time to not just strike. Please strike. Please fight for what's right. But this is the time to align yourself with the word of God because God's getting ready to bless you and no demon in hell and no producer in the industry can stop what God has for me. Because I'm getting ready to be a light that goes into the darkness and, and not being in the dark place makes us feel dark. That's how we know we weren't ready for the next level. Because I don't miss it. At this time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, I'm getting more word and I'm getting more light and it's getting darker. So I got to be brighter. 
That's why we got to be concerned about the word of God. Don't, don't turn around because, the, the, hear what I'm saying? Whatever, this relates to anything. Don't turn around because the contract ain't fair. Turn around because God ain't being exalted and acknowledged. He's the one who opened the doors for all of this. And, we're and if you would acknowledge that, you would give people what is right for them to give. So turn around because God's not being worshipped. Turn around because God's not being honored. Turn around because the word of the Lord is in you. Turn around because you have faith. Turn around because God said, I have this for you. Don't turn around because it's not fair. Turn around because you're fighting for your faith. And then the third thing is God might want us to use something that no one will think he will use. My boy was a left-handed man from a right-handed family. Somebody in here is adopted and all of your brothers and sisters were, were born naturally through your parents and you were adopted. Son of the, the left-handed kid with the right-handed family. The, the left-handed kid with the right-handed family. The left-handed businessman with the around right-handed businessmen. The, the left, you just feel unqualified. The left-handed wife around right-handed wives. You know, left-handed husband around right-handed husbands. The left-handed pastor around right-handed pastors. You're just comparing yourself to other people who seem to be further along than you. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm using you. I'm using the thing that people hate about you and the thing that you hate about yourself and I'm not getting rid of it because I'm going to use it. And other people have told you, you, you can't have that and God bless you. You can't be dealing with that and God bless you because they're not dealing with it. And God's going to lift you up. But here's what it's going to take. I'm not even going to lie to you. There, there, there's too many people that this is about us. I remember one time I was pastoring this celebrity in my life and I was this celebrity's pastor and this celebrity, this pop star was huge. So huge that they performed at the Super Bowl. And I remember texting them, congratulations. And they said, thank you. And I remember posting on my Instagram and my stories, so proud of such and such. And the Lord convicted me. You just told him you was proud of them. Why'd you post that? You weren't trying to let them know. They didn't even see this. They got 100 million followers. Oh, you was trying to let everybody else know you knew them. So excited about what God's doing in his life. No, I'm not. I just wanted to let you know I know. Anybody like that? Am I the only one that's going to admit that I made it about me? Come on, somebody. We do that all the time because we want to be known. And I'm tired of having this feeling that if nobody knows about it, I'm a failure. I don't want to go viral. I don't want people to know me. I want to be known in heaven, not here. If you don't know me, God knows me. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, that there were these people who wanted to cast out demons because they saw that the disciples who were casting out demons were becoming famous and they went to cast out these demons and the demons said, Peter and Paul we know, but who are you? You're not known in the realm we operate on. You're known on Facebook. You're known on Instagram. But in this kingdom, demonic, and spiritual realm, you're a nobody. I know you got 500,000 followers and 5 million followers in the earth, but in the kingdom realm, you're nobody. 
On the other hand, you might not have any followers, but when you get to heaven, Moses is going to welcome. We saw you. We saw you. Deborah's going to be like, welcome. We, we saw you. Jesus is going to get up off his throne and say, we saw the things you did in silence, the things you did in the background, the things you did that you didn't care if anybody saw about it. We saw you sweeping. We saw you making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for your kids, thinking that it's nothing at all. We saw you going to church and serving in the parking lot. We saw you working in the mailroom of your business and you never got the CEO. We saw how many auditions that you didn't book, but you kept praying. You're known in the kingdom of God. Yeah, nobody knows you on Instagram. Nobody knows you on Facebook. Nobody knows you on threads, even though they just came up with that. But in the kingdom of the Lord, we know you. We know you. We know you because Jesus reigns. I wish there was a hundred people that would give God a shout of praise if they want to be known in heaven, if they want to be known in the kingdom. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with a friend. To join us on the journey of being present, connected, and generous, visit oasisla.org connect. We love you so much, and we'll see you soon.